This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back tomorrow and she will be joined by Fightback's recovering politicians. Today, we talk about all things Zoomer, including what the new health care agreement between the Trudeau Liberals and Ford PCs means for older Ontario residents and the rest of us as we age. But first, the great Gordon Pinsent who died on Saturday at the age of 92. He was an iconic Canadian actor and an all-round, down-to-earth nice guy. And now, time for the Zoomer Squad. That's where we begin our chat with the Zoomer Squad. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP and joins us on the phone. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugridge is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. David and Peter join me in studio. Hello to you all. Peter, hi, I'll, I'll be, hi, everybody. hi, Bill, on the phone there. Uh, Peter, uh, everythingzoomer.com has revisited a conversation with Gordon Pinsent from 2012 when he was on the cover of Zoomer magazine. I really enjoyed reading that this morning. Yeah, it's, it's a nice look back in the archives of uh, not only a fine actor, but a real gentleman. And um, I think what came through in that article was how, um, you know, we our, our film stars aren't, they don't become these sort of massive celebrities who you don't even can't even see as human beings anymore are stay really down to earth and relevant and you know passers-by were, were talking to him as they were doing the interview just just sort of you know it, they stay real and and because of that i, I think they're you know they, they become better practitioners practitioners of their craft and they don't become sort of like these you know, plastic celebrities like they do in the U.S. Right. And not yeah. only was he a proud Canadian, but a proud Newfoundlander as well, David. He was, in, he was yeah. indeed. And just to echo what Peter said, I think that maybe because it takes longer and they really do have to learn their craft and you don't have that instant out of nowhere, you know, soaring rocket, crashing rocket, right. they kind of ply their craft and he was such a an accomplished uh actor he was so good at what he did it was almost like watching a a, a craftsman at work and i think that maybe is comes from the fact that he was such a, a real person. Right. Uh, just an everyman. Yeah. I was speaking with one of, one of my colleagues in the newsroom this morning uh, who had a conversation with him years ago outside uh, a bar in Yorkville. And he just had all the time in the world for my yeah. colleague, right? Just yeah. chatting and, yeah. you know, he had a few pints and right. <laughs> it was just, how, you know, it was whatever. Yeah, he would chat with anybody. Um, Bill, I'm wondering where you have your Atlantic Canadian connection if you, if you knew Gordon Pinsent. I actually uh, did have the opportunity to work with him in a production of The uh, Wizard of Oz back in the early 1990s and actually coached him on performing some magic uh, uh, tricks uh, as a part of his performance. We were doing uh, uh, the Nova Scotia Drama League was doing a fundraising a uh, series of semi-professional shows of uh, The Wizard of Oz. And part of that was to have one weekend of shows where a uh, we always had a star come in and uh, take the lead role. And that year it was uh, uh, Gordon Pinsett. I was producing the, uh, uh, the show and worked uh, closely with him. And everything that David and Peter said, he was a wonderful down-to-earth. Here we were... Uh, a group of uh, local uh, semi-professional actors and, and singers trying to do a, a, a good job on The Wizard of Oz. And he was there to support us and work with us and, and uh, was just one of the uh, one of the group. Uh, actually, was speaking to a friend of mine in uh, Niagara the Lake the other day who worked with him on the on the same show and saying about uh, how easy he was to work with and how accommodating uh, he was. Just a true 
gentleman, a down-to-earth uh, person who uh, worked hard at the theater and then went out for a beer with all of us after we were done. Right. Sarah Pauly said that when she directed him, he made it a point to know every crew member's name on the set, right. that he took that as seriously yeah. as he did his lines right. in, in the in the movie. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you all for your thoughts about Gordon Pinsent, uh, who died on Saturday, surrounded by loved ones at uh, the age of 92. And whatever we end up discussing here on the Zoomer Squad, we have our agenda, but you're welcome to weigh in and join the conversation. Numbers to call are 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Let's talk about the new bilateral health care funding deal for Ontario, the deal between the Trudeau Liberals and the Ford PCs. In addition to the $8.4 billion over 10 years and $776 million right away for urgent needs, there is a commitment on both sides of helping Canadians age with dignity, closer to home, with access to home care or care in a safe long-term care facility. David, let's talk about the importance of that statement first. Well, I think it's a very important statement, and um, you'll forgive me if I am a little bit skeptical, not of the intent, because what are they going to say? We don't want you to age in dignity. We don't want you to age close at home. We hope it's a horrible experience. So they're saying the right thing. But uh, I think that there's a danger that the whole healthcare discussion, and we'll get into the funding, is moving into the area of performance art, where they all know what they need to do. It's this stately dance. They all know their steps on the dance floor, and you'll do this, I'll offer that, we'll have a study group over here. And nothing concrete emerges quickly enough, uh, in my view. So I'm a little bit... I might be spoiled by years of watching mm-hmm. this and watching nothing happen. They are geniuses if they were a tenth as good at managing the healthcare system as they are at acting like they're managing the healthcare system, then we might have a better system. Perfect. Well said. <laughs> uh, Peter, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I mean, David's, uh, David's been watching it for longer than I have, but... Um, I, I think it's important that home and community care gets on the agenda anyway. You know, I, if they had left it off, we would have been, um, you know, uh, pounding our fists on the table. So I, I think it's a good thing that it's on. But as David said, uh, you know, aside from the stately dance, there's not, um, you know, there's not a great deal of money here to do anything but keep the system going, you know. And, and you know, uh, someone, I think the head of the hospital association said it's barely going to cover inflation over the next 10 years. So. Um, you know, everyone's lining up to sort of, um, you know, see what they see what will what they can get out of of all this health money. But I don't think there's a lot of health money. I think it's, you know, it's a nice injection, but it's not enough to transform the system. So um, until then, we'll see these stately dances and, uh, you know, um, lots of, you know, nice statements publicly. But whether whether there's enough money to actually do anything or, you know, that remains to be seen. Well, and we'll talk about that specifically. Yeah. But, Bill, over to you as the chief policy officer for CARP. Uh, and and you've been talking and CARP members have been talking for years about the importance of moving towards more home care. Uh, how do you view that statement? Well, certainly, uh, I, and I agree with uh, with both what Peter and, and David has uh, have uh, said. It's a small amount of money, but at least they're talking about it, and hopefully, they're talking about it more seriously than uh, David might uh, expect. But it's not enough money to make real change in home and community care that we need. And what really is needed is a complete reset of the system. Money is not going to solve uh, the problem. There's not enough money in uh, in this agreement to uh, do an awful lot than just uh, uh, keep the keep the status uh, status quo with the hospital association has said we really have to look for actions that look at the entire home and community care system and how we make changes in what's already there and not just think that throwing money at it is going to improve the system. So in effect, David, changing the way we spend our money so that we can prioritize home care, which is less expensive than long-term care. Okay, but having prioritized, yes, exactly, but having prioritized it, what, doing what exactly? Right. Here's, the, yeah. here's the, what I consider to be the bait and switch. 
that they go into a room, they negotiate this health care accord, we demand X, we're getting a little less than X from the feds, and the underlying premise is if only we had more money, then it would be fine. So let's fight for more money. But Canada, again, fourth from the highest among OECD countries in spending on health care as a percentage of GDP. Our spending level is near the top. And many, many, many other countries that are spending less are getting better outcomes. Why is our spending at the top and our outcomes at the bottom? And the, the, the con here, and it is a con, frankly, is that let's get more money. If only we had more money, by magic, everything would be fine. But they right. need a complete rethink to build point. They need to reset the whole table. And until they're ready to do that with specifics, okay, aging in place, aging at home, how, what, what are they not doing that they're going to start doing? What are they going to stop doing that they shouldn't have been doing? Where are the details? And until we have those, it's just all for show. And Peter, we hear a lot uh, from the Ford PCs since they've been uh, in office since 2018 about building new long-term care facilities, but we hear very little about the home care element. Right. And, and you know, CARP has been hammering that for years about how, you know, a better home care system, uh, better organized, better funded, you know, one that's actually, um, you know, serves the people um, who use it rather than the people who work in it, um, that would that would save the system, you know, not only billions of dollars, but also improve, you know, the, the, the lives of those who who need it. And um, I, I just don't like like I, I just don't see where it's going to where someone is going to say, OK, we're going to stop doing business the way we've always done it and change it. I, I don't. I don't see anyone in any of the provinces saying that they they just okay we got some money let's let's do this and let's do that, but until until there there's like the system is in crisis because the system has gotten too big and it's unwieldy and it's almost broken and um, like starting from that point um, we we need to rethink it and and I don't see them at that point yet I, well, I, I think they're just going to keep dishing money to all the all the groups that they've always dished money to. We will talk. Uh, there's a new poll out today. Uh, what Canadians feel about privatized health care versus public health care or hybrids of that. Yeah. Um, but within that is not a look at how we're taking care of our elderly. And, and Bill, uh, the statement, as we've all agreed, is, is, is the right thing to say. It's important to note that they are prioritizing home care. Um, what would you like to see happen with the money that we have? There's no more money. How do we reorganize the system? That's right. And, and, and beyond just the money, there, there are a couple of uh, steps that must be taken right away. First of all, it's very difficult for families uh, and, uh, and those who need the service to even discover what services are available. We might need much better, I guess, what they call navigation, ability of people to find out what's available in their community to help them stay in their own homes. And, and uh, the governments are terrible about even uh, uh, allowing their, uh, their, their uh, citizens to know where they go to find the services. Next, of course, is staffing. You can't provide any of this without, uh, without staffing. There's a number of steps that they could take to have more uh, staff available, uh, not only uh, increasing uh, uh, salaries to those uh, people, allowing uh, people from other countries who want to work in the system to work uh, uh, to work in it. Uh, uh, they need to make sure that uh, students and others who want to work part-time in the system are able to do that better than they can uh, now so that there's enough staff to uh, to do it and then uh, the next is organizing the service itself one of the biggest complaints that we get from uh, uh, from our members is that even when they're getting home care uh, services that uh, the communication is poor they don't know exactly where when they're coming they don't know uh, they don't find out right away when they're not able to come on certain days that whole communication back back and forth is is uh, totally lacking uh, if it was well, if it was well staffed, and if, if the navigation was there, then it could be solved, and that could probably be done without an awful lot more money. 
We're with our Zoomer squad today here. Monday's Fight Back, Jane for Libby. That's Bill Van Gorder, David Kravitz, and Peter Mugrich are with me here in studio. And a few of you want to get in on the conversation as well. Numbers to call 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. That is toll free. Pat in Toronto. Pat, what would you like to add? Well, I think one of the basic issues is the money issue, and it goes back to uh, what I refer to as the concept of the haves and the have-nots. Those people who are fortunate to be working for government or be university professors, etc., they will have 70% index pensions when they retire. The rest of the world, you know, are lucky if they put some money aside. And Kathleen Wynne, I think, identified this because she wanted big increases in the CPP because otherwise uh, many people going into government-run facilities don't have any money or the money is, is, is not being shown on their tax returns. It might be on their kids' tax returns. So we've got to find a way to increase our pension benefits and make it mandatory. I mean, uh, everybody's living a lot longer, so we're going to have to pay for people you know, not just into their 70s, but rather into their 90s. So we've we've had some fundamental changes to make. Yeah, I think we are on the cusp of that. Thank you, Pat, for calling in. Uh, in terms of other topics, I mean, everything is healthcare related. Um, but this is, this is a product of the pandemic, uh, the new report providing a snapshot of the health and well-being of Torontonians. Uh, we've learned in recent days, not only has Toronto's 65 plus population edged up a bit, but a growing number of Torontonians were also found to be overdue for breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer screenings. That was in 2020. Uh, and of of course, uh, these screenings can lead to later, uh, if you don't have a screening, it can lead to a later stage diagnosis and a poor outcome. Uh, this was 2020, so we don't know how 21 and 22 evolved, uh, David, but uh, certainly this has put a strain on the healthcare system for people who were not identified as having cancer sooner when they could have been cured sooner. True. And yeah. also to add, you can add to that discretionary surgery for like orthopedic surgery, hip and knee surgery. I mean, all kinds of medical procedures have been delayed and there are substantial backlogs of all of this stuff. So this report's not at all surprising. It's very alarming, but I don't think it's exactly shocking that so much got delayed and deferred. And now that demand is hitting the system, which is already on fumes. Mm-hmm. So you've got a perfect storm in a way. Right. And we've even been told uh, as women, our cervical cancer screening results can be delayed for up to six months, Peter. Yeah. yeah and and Delay is not what you need. No, when you're, no. You know, especially um, when you're already delayed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, like uh, again, another bad news report, another system in crisis report, um, and um, you know, another sort of sign that there, this is a, so many arms to this problem, and I don't know how they're going to wrestle it down without rethinking every every angle of mm-hmm. it, and that's not going to happen. So. And Bill, we need to be, I mean, in light of uh, this report showing that people had to put off their cancer screenings because of the pandemic, all the more reason for us to be advocates for ourselves, right, in terms of getting in touch with our doctors, making those appointments. Yeah, absolutely. There were, you know, there were two two reasons, uh, and, and we, we know anecdotally from the reports back from our CARP uh, members that those numbers are going to be even worse for, for uh, 2021 and, and 22. And, and two things that were uh, given COVID were, were unavoidable. One was that uh, people were hesitant to uh, uh, go to hospitals and other locations with other, uh, where there are other people to, to get these kinds of because they didn't want to expose themselves, and the system themselves itself slowed down uh, because of the precautions that were being taken when uh, people were uh, were attending to to uh, have their uh, tests done. So, uh, so there was a backlog, and and now we have to uh, we have to catch up. Uh, with it and have to urge people we we need governments and everyone else to uh, uh, make it absolutely uh, clear that uh, uh, that the the doors are now open they can come in and we have to realize that uh, nobody's going to 
uh, beg us to uh, do it yet. We have to be, as you say, our own uh, health advocates, take our own health uh, into, consider, uh, into consideration and make sure we're doing what we have to do for ourselves right. to make sure we're getting the diagnosis early enough to make a difference. The system such as it is, make it work for ourselves, right? Right. Bill Van Gorder, David Kravitz, Peter Mugridge, our Zoomer squad, uh, Monday on Fight Back, Jane for Libby. And one more topic here, and I wonder where you fall into the uh, the thought process with this new Angus Reid Institute poll. Uh, again, our numbers, if you'd like to call in, because this one is a controversial one, 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. It turns out that Canadians are of three mindsets about the prospect of increasing privatization in Canadian health care. So two in five, 39%, are public health purists. They see little to no place for privatization and say any movement in this direction only exacerbates current challenges within the system. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got three in 10, 28%. They are private care proponents. They say increasing privatization is a necessary evolution in Canadian health care. And then you have the curious but hesitant at 33% who are sympathetic to elements of both sides of the debate. They find potential value in concepts such as contracting for-profit doctors to work in public facilities and paying for operations to be done in the private network through, uh, through health care, through public health care. But they also express deep concern about just how far to go, citing concerns about the access of low-income Canadians and the potential exacerbating of staffing shortages. Where do you fall into this? Public health purist, private care proponent, or curious but hesitant? Uh, David, what do you make of those results? Well, I'm not surprised. I think it's uh, interesting that two-thirds of the sample are not public health purists and fall somewhere in this spectrum. But I think part of the problem is that the entire topic is only now starting to be framed in real world terms. Before that, it was very ideological and there was a a detachment from the real world because what does it even mean? The NDP is in favor, for example, of a national dental care plan. So that's clearly health care delivered by private people, dentists, paid for by the government. So now are all the dentists going to be driven out of business and there's only going to be government dentists? Nobody's saying no, that. No. So he's got a private system that's delivering care. True. And the dental community, I know this, will argue that dental hygiene is a vital part of health care now right. because so many germs and diseases and so on can enter through, the, through uh, you know, oral problems. So we have a private dental network paid for or advocating that it be paid for by the government for people that can't afford it by the NDP, no friend of private care. So what does that even mean? So until you start to identify what are you actually talking about that's private, what's public, how does it get paid for, what's the supply of people that can do it, the whole thing is going to be, you're going to get reports like this that are, it's all up in the air. It's right. not going to be, it's got to be related to real world supply and the real world conditions in the, in the, uh, healthcare marketplace, I'm afraid. And it's interesting, Peter, of the private care proponents, um, they are supported, supportive as well of seeing a host of hybrid care options from other countries, such as Australia, Germany, and Britain, brought here to Canada, where it seems like hybrid versions of public and private are working in some cases. Yeah. And, and I, Gene, I, I think it's inevitable. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what side you're on. I, I think... Because of the the state we're in, we need, you know, we, we need to take some pressure off the system, and the only way to do that, you know, we we've explored all the efficiencies within the system, and I think we're going to have to start looking outside at at, you know, some of these hybrid mixes like they have in England or Australia, which seem to um, haven't seemed to destroy their public system, and um, allow for for more people to access care on a timely basis through a private system. So um, I, I don't know, I don't know where I stand, you know, philosophically on it, but I do know we're going to have to, 
we're going to have to make some hard decisions going forward because, you know, the system's in, in everyone says it's in collapse. Uh, Bill, I'll get to you in just a sec. I want to uh, chat with our listeners here. Dennis in Brampton, uh, what are your thoughts on this survey? Thank you for taking my call. Uh, the difficulty I have with privatization is every time we've done it, and it is, there is a lot of it, it ends up costing the public system more. And the current example is the um, outsourcing of the cataract surgeries to the private clinics, where they're being paid 20 to 30% more as a premium to do that same procedure that is done in the hospital. And we also know with respect to home care that there's a lot of price gouging going on there as well. And we spent a good deal of the program talking about the amount of money that we have to spend. So if we're going to be paying premiums for uh, care that's currently done in the public system, that's just going to exacerbate the problem. Okay, thank you for your phone call. John in Peterborough, what would you like to add? Well, I think that if the people that mostly want this privatization are people with lots of money. Now, years ago, when we didn't have that, they went down to the States and they paid. And good for them. They have the money. Now, if we have no privatization here, and we keep it the way it's been for years, then those people that will be moving into these private companies to get more money, nurses, etc., well, they'll have a choice. Either go into the system or go down to the States. Now, they tried this before in the States, and most of them came back because they didn't like living there and what they had to live in. So no privatization whatsoever, as All far right. as I'm concerned. Okay. But you do need more money in there. Yeah, thank you, John. And, Thanks for your call. Let's, uh, final comments. Uh, we're running out of time here from Bill Van Gorder. Well, we really have to uh, start defining what we're talking about. The, the, uh, what, what CARP is looking for is an equitable system that everybody can get paid uh, by the, the government, a single-payer system, and it has to be delivered on top the standards. And some of the uh, uh, misunderstandings about the way the system really operates now are really obvious from some of the callers today, and it would be great to get into those topics on a future, re- on a, on a future panel. Okay, we'll leave it there. Zoomer Squad, thank you guys. Thank you, Thanks, Jane. Jane. Bye, Thanks, Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. And Peter Mugrich is Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Jane for Libby, she is back tomorrow. And coming up in the second half hour, it's tax season. What you need to know from two experts to get a head start on your taxes. Your questions are welcome. 416-360-0740 or one one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby returns tomorrow. The deadline for filing your 2022 tax return if you owe money is May 1st. If you owe the government money and file later than May 1st, you will be charged interest on the amount you owe. If the government owes you money, you can file anytime. But before you file, do you know of all the tax breaks that may apply to you? If you have questions about your taxes, we have two experts joining us until one o'clock. So you can call in anytime at 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. And uh, don't forget, radio is anonymous. So if you have a personal question about your taxes, you can uh, make up a name if you'd like uh, just to get the information. It helps the rest of us as well. Barry Choi is a personal finance expert and Bruce Ball is is Vice President of Taxation at CPA Canada. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Bruce, I'm going to start with you. Uh, The possibility of a strike by Canada Revenue Agency employees. How realistic is this and how would it affect Canadians? Well, that's that's an interesting question to start off with. I I have to say, I can't speak to the likelihood of something like that. And in terms of the impact, I think it really depends. Um, You know, a lot of things at CRA are uh, automated. So I would 
hope or expect, I suppose, that uh, uh, some of that uh, will carry on as usual. For example, I think if you file your return, you'll be able to, you know, still do that and get proof that you filed on time and that sort of thing. I think anything that involves involvement of people will be what takes longer. And I, you know, and in terms of refunds, what impact that'll have, I really can't speculate on that. And, you know, it's important to note as well, Barry, that there has been no strike called by CRA workers. It's just that uh, federal civil servants are, a lot of them are taking strike votes right now if indeed they wanted to give that mandate to the negotiators for their new contract. Well, you know, having worked in a union before, I think that's always like, you know, something they want to talk about to uh, push the negotiations forward, if you want to put it that way. Right. I think for the average consumer who's worried about filing their taxes or filing their taxes for the first time, that won't have an effect on them in the grand scheme of things in the sense that, hey, as long as you file on time, uh, you've done your part of the job. If, if it takes the CRA longer to review your file, that's on them. Right. Okay. So let's assume it's business as usual when you file your taxes, regardless of what's going on in the background here. Uh, The government has introduced or expanded some of the tax credits that Canadians may claim. So uh, if you're both okay to run uh, through the list of possibilities, um, I can begin with you, Barry. The Home Accessibility tax credit, uh, which is available for eligible home renovations or alteration expenses aimed at making a home safer or more accessible for a person with a disability, including an older person, right? That is one of the tax credits available. And it's very interesting because it's just obviously the government introducing different tax credits that can help people. Uh, But what I find interesting is how every single year they're very targeted, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Who knows if it's for political reasons. But that said, you know, I do think most of these new tax credits introduced overall are meant to help certain people. And, and as far as I'm concerned, every dollar helps. You know, when I was younger, those tax tuition credits definitely helped. Now that I'm a little bit older, I hate to say this, but, you know, I've claimed medical expenses. So, so overall, any additional tax credit is useful. Yeah. And let's talk about the those medical expenses as well. The expenses are can be up to the two previous years, right? Like 22 and 21. And they have to exceed a certain amount before they can result in a tax credit. Well, I'm not an accountant, so that's probably a better question for Bruce. Okay. He probably has a much better answer than I will. Okay, Bruce, uh, can I throw that to you? Hey. Yeah, oh, for sure. Uh, so it can involve two different years, but you are claiming it for one year, basically. So you're allowed to pick a 12-month period that ends during the year. Uh, For, I'll be honest, for someone like myself, where the uh, expenses are a little more regular, I just do it on a calendar year basis because it's easier, honestly. But uh, where it uh, you might want to pick a different year is maybe where you have one one or two major expenses and not a, uh, a, a lot of ongoing expenses. But uh, and then it is reduced by three uh, percent of your net income up to a, a threshold as well. So actually, what a, yeah, I was just going to say one of the points I was going to say is use tax software because a lot of these things are complicated, including mm-hmm. the medical expense deduction. Right. And and detail for us, like how much do the expenses have to uh, be add up to before they can actually be of benefit to you? Well, that's why I say that it depends on the person's income. So uh, I forget the exact number of the threshold. I mean, it's 3% of income and then it caps out. I think it's a... It's around two or three thousand, I think. But uh, so it really depends on the person. And the other thing is, it depends if you're um, a couple uh, picking the right spouse or partner to pick the expense. You usually, uh, like to try to uh, claim them on the uh, lower income return because the reduction uh, amount's going to be a bit less. Ah, I see. Uh, and can you also, Bruce, speak to that home accessibility tax credit? Because, I mean, the whole idea behind that is uh, for um, children of older parents to be able to keep their parents at home, but um, getting some money back for spending money to um, to make sure that their home is uh, safe for their elderly parent. Yeah, it is. A, it is one of the numerous tax credits that's available. It was increased as well. So yeah. the there's a, how tax credits actually work. There's a, often a tax credit amount that might be an expense, and then you apply fifteen percent to it. So in the case of the accessibility credit, it was uh, the threshold was increased to twenty thousand for twenty twenty two. So that means you can 
include expenses up to that amount and then claim 15% of it. So it does provide some help, mm-hmm. uh, although, you know, uh, 15% uh, is helpful, but there's obviously a, a larger portion that you still have to pay for yourself. That's Bruce Ball. He's vice president of taxation at CPA Canada. Barry Choi is with us as well. He's a personal finance expert. I'm Jane for Libby. I want to get to your phone calls. Uh, we have uh, both of these gentlemen until one o'clock and they are resourceful information as we start to think about doing our 2022 tax returns. Numbers to call 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Harry in Kitchener, you have a question comment go ahead yeah i didn't get that name but anyway i didn't hear what you said as far as the name the name of what my name oh you're harry right i guess okay okay i didn't know who you were talking no that's you go ahead you're on the air sorry look no i just wondered if if um a brand new gas furnace uh installation plus the meter plus everything else that i had to pay for the gas line in from the house, from the highway out to the house, and all this stuff. Is that a, a tax credit? Can I claim that? Who wants this to take brand that? Brand new furnace? I'm spending yeah. about $8,000 on this whole thing. Bruce, is that up your alley? Uh, I don't think, my, my initial reaction is I don't think anything's available for income tax purposes, but there's always a chance there might be other, you know, cool. incentives that are outside the main tax system. Right. Well, I looked as best as I could, and I couldn't find anything to, uh, you know, in, in that type of installation sort of thing. Well, Barry, there can be rebates through the Ontario government, I was right? I say, yeah. Yeah. This is going on in the sense you wouldn't get necessarily a tax rebate. Uh, I'm assuming the caller is calling from Ontario. There's yes. there's quite a few different green incentives that you can look up, uh, whether it be from your individual city or from the province. So definitely look into the green rebates because that's usually money back in the form okay. of like a check as opposed to a tax. Right. Already, I'll get my accountant to check further. Then. <laughs> okay, Harry. Good luck with I that. Did do, I did this one on my own this time around, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and let me ask this of our experts as well. In terms of doing the taxes on your own with the software or going to an accountant, uh, is it more likely, Barry, that you will save money by spending money by going to somebody professional? You know, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. And I like the fact that Bruce already called this out. Using tax software available, you know, over the course of the next 20 minutes, we'll be talking about a lot of numbers. But for the average consumer, using tax tax software, a digital tax solution will, will help you find the most tax rebates for you. For example, I personally use TurboTax. It automatically scans up to 400 credits and tax deductions. So I know for my purposes and what's relevant for me, uh, the solution will help me find those tax credits. But if you're asking about you know, what's better, going to an accountant or using the software. I think quite often it's an individual uh, preference, if you would say that. I'm still a little bit younger. I'm not that young, mind you. Uh, so I like to use tax software because there are a few different options. That said, I 100% understand that people want to go to a tax accountant. And I'm sure Bruce will have many reasons to explain why that might be a good choice too. Yeah, over to you, Bruce. Okay, well, thanks, Barry. Uh, no, I agree with everything you said. Uh, maybe on the tax software too. Um, the I think it's the same product that Barry's talking about. Um, it walks you through a questionnaire as well, and so I definitely suggest as well if you're checking out software, don't necessarily just opt for the free one uh, because some of the products will actually walk you through a bit of a questionnaire. And, you know, when to involve uh, uh, an accountant, I think it it does depend on, you know, factors like, uh, you know, personal preference, but also complication and that sort of thing. You know, rental properties and business income, that, those are good examples where it might make sense to involve someone because it's uh, it can be more complicated. But I'd agree with Barry. There's lots of situations, especially for employees. Um, uh, it, it, it's quite uh, possible to do your own as long as you spend some time with the software and make sure you get ready and organized. That's the other key point. Okay. Let, you know what? On the other side of the break, uh, how to get ready and organized. And, and we will get to your phone calls. Phones are ringing. If you have any questions of our tax experts, the numbers are 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're talking about everything you need to know to get going on filing your 2022 taxes. I'm joined by Bruce Ball, Vice President of Taxation at CPA Canada, and Barry Choi, who is a personal finance expert. Uh, Bruce, before the break, my question to you, how do we get ready and organized to begin filing our taxes? Sure, there's a couple of things. Uh, one one would be now, uh, now that we're sort of into it, but one, maybe I'll start with what to do during the year. It, I, depending on whether you're sort of paper-based or electronically, it's good to keep a file uh, either on your, uh, you know, electronically or a paper file. And as you get receipts and anything you think you might need during tax season, make sure you put that in there. But another thing I'd like to do actually for myself personally, um, online banking, it's possible to download your uh, transactions, at least through the financial institution I deal with, into a spreadsheet. And if you quickly organize it into, you know, uh, payees or, you know, uh, uh, sources, you can quickly uh, have a look at all your uh, deposits and, and, and your payments, your credit card payments. Another good way to highlight things. And I find that's really good for finding medical expenses and donations because they're often missed at the time. You may forget to do it. Another thing is... Uh, in terms of medical, uh, if you have insurance, uh, uh, most of the insurers give you a really nice report at the end of the year in terms of all the expenses you put in and then how much was paid out. And then you can deduct the uh, the net on your return as well. So I think just being organized can make sure that you uh, don't miss uh, income, but also make sure you get all your deductions and credits. Barry, would you like to add to that before we go to the phones? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing I would say, especially for people who are filing for the first time, is setting up a MyCRA account. Uh, that's where most of your correspondence with uh, the CRA will come from. Quite often, those bank documents that Bruce was talking about will automatically be sent, uh, including employer information. So that's always handy. And if you're filing um, not for the first time, you know you might want to get ready your documents from the previous year, like your notice of assessment, because your your new filing might ask you for certain numbers that are within those documents. Questions for our tax experts, 416-360-0740, Carol in Waterdown, you're up next. Go ahead, please. Hi there. Um, they were just talking about a notice of assessment. I got a text notice this morning, and the first line refers to a CRA reference number, and then it has the number. And it says, this is a notification of a Canada-wide GST reassessment based on your 22-year income. We notice you still have not claimed your credit. See our secured portal, notice.cadassessments.com. That sounds like spam. I know. It's a text. I didn't think I would get a text from the government. Yeah, Bruce, that's not real, is it? No. No, not that in particular. This is a good thing to talk about, though. The CRA will do electronic communications, and it actually can be a better, for a lot of people, it might be a much better way to actually do things. So how CRA does it, though, they don't say anything in there that's actually personal information. So there was far too much personal stuff in there to be from the CRA. Right. They'll basically say, if you signed up for my account, like Barry suggested, that there's something new for you to go look at on the CRA site, and they'll say nothing more, typically. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Carol, thanks for calling. Okay. You're welcome. Bye-bye. 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 Let's go to Daryl in Toronto. Daryl, what's your question? Hello. I'm uh, renting some space in a house. Other people live here, too. It's a very favorable rent situation, but uh, because of the situation, I can't bring all my belongings here, so I'm renting a storage unit for them. Should I or could I be including the rent on the storage unit as part of my rent when I file my Ah. Uh Bruce? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Now, that if, that wouldn't be a the rent uh, qualifies for an Ontario credit, but I don't believe it would cover um, a, a space where you're not actually living. Okay, Daryl. Okay. Thank you. Yep, thanks for calling in. I mean, these are the, these are the things we don't know, right, Barry? Any other thoughts on stuff like that? You know, again, I, I hate to like throw things at the software, but generally speaking, like Bruce said, yeah, if there's. Any kind of expense that you're not sure about, what I like about tax software, like I said, I use TurboTax, it'll literally prompt you. So like when you, when I filed last year, it was like, do you have any medical expenses? Did you work from home? 
did you move? Uh, so quite often, a lot of these things can be answered as you actually do the filing process. That said, of course, if you're not sure, ask an expert. We're here on the phone for you or do a little bit of extra research online. Uh, what I'm getting at is, is you don't need to know everything. So there's no reason for you to like, uh, you know, panic or, or stress out. It's quite often and for you. Uh, when you're using tax solutions online, don't do things by hand. <laughs> right. Okay, John in Mississauga, what is your question? Is this John? Sorry. Yep, yeah, John, go ahead. No, I just wondered if the gentleman mentioned when we were talking about the medical expenses, it's not a question, it's just a comment yeah. regarding the uh, 3% of your net income. But, you know, the figure that, uh, I mean, a figure that was knocked around maybe is that you've got to have quite a bit of expenses if you're going to get anything back. Right. 3% of, let's say you make you know, 30000 is your net income, uh, you're, you're going to have $900 off. So, I mean, right away, you have to have $900 in medical expenses. Exactly. Right? So, I mean, if, you're go- if you go and get a pair of glasses or something, you're not going to get anything back for that. No, but no. I suppose a lot of people really have thousands upon thousands of dollars of medical expenses, so uh, they can certainly take advantage of it. But uh, I, I just think I missed that. I came in at the end, and I just thought I'd Throw that in there. No, no, you make a great point. You do have to have a substantial amount of medical expenses for it to benefit you on your tax return. Sure. Yeah, sure. thank you, John. Thanks. Let's go to Mary in Toronto. Mary, you are on Fight Back. Hi there. Uh, my question is about making charitable donations in kind. I hear that if you do so, there it, it doesn't trigger capital gains. And if so, what kind of items can you donate? Bruce, do you, are you familiar with what Mary is talking about? Uh, yeah, to uh, yeah, to degree. Maybe I'll address a couple of different things. I, I think generally, when you donate property, you actually are deemed to. Um, uh, I guess there's a couple of different ways. There's some property that qualifies for a rollover, but or the disposition of costs. But I think the more common one uh, that might be uh, that uh, she might be referring to is a gift to qualifying securities. Basically, if it's you know publicly traded items, you're able to donate them at fair value, but there is no capital gain for those. Um, Actually, I, I have think property that's what that she wanna... might be. Sorry, Sorry Mary, I, what was you? Have you? Property that I want to donate. You do have property that you want to donate. Donate. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, sorry, finished your thought there? So, so there's the uh, rules that apply uh, for investments, and then more generally, I think uh, there might be the availability to um, uh, dispose of some property at cost, but I'd have to look at it a bit more. Okay, Mary, thank you for calling. Let's go to Ron in Cornwall. Ron, thanks for calling in. Hello, Jane. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you can ask your question. Oh, no, I've got a comment. I use a, a, tax, a tax person. Yes. And uh, I use it for a reason, because uh, if something goes wrong, then I got somebody to blame. (laughs) Well, that's true, too. Not much you can do about it, but I guess you can blame them. (laughs) Let's go to Pam. Let's go to Pam in Oakville. Pam, do you have a question? Yes, I do. Um, I'd like to know if you can claim naturopathic medicines. Um, Who would like to take that? Oh, well, I can kind of jump on this. To a certain extent, if you go to the CRA website or Government of Canada, it actually lists exactly what you can claim and can claim as far as uh, medical expenses or, or medical procedures or whatever you want to call it is con- concerned. So depending on what you're claiming, I would recommend looking at that list to see exactly what you're entitled to. And, and just to comment back about a previous comment about having high medical expenses, you know, yeah, something like glasses, it's very small. But, you know, a couple of years back, my wife and I went through IVF and we spent $10,000 on the procedures and we actually got oh. a fair amount back. So I want people to listen and think that like, hey, it's not just a small amount. Sometimes it can make a significant difference in your overall tax. Right. If you have a big expense like that, that's mm-hmm. not that's not covered under OHIP or your manual or you, like your plan at work. Here we have manual life, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. And, and also for celiac disease, there's a special diet. You have to stay on gluten free. Um, is that taxable? Or? Well, you know what? Um, Barry brings up a great point. If you just Google, uh, Pam, uh, what medical expenses are covered um, uh, for the Canada Revenue Agency tax return, the list comes up or the page comes up. Okay. Okay. So good luck with that. Um, we have a couple more minutes to go. I'm glad that you all found this segment interesting and have lots of questions for our experts, Barry Choi, Bruce Ball. Let's go to Connie in Brampton. What's your question, Connie? My question is uh, that leisure tax, 
a rebate yes. for Ontario. Uh, what can you claim? Can you c- claim marina fees and um, marina, yeah, marina fees and stuff like that? When you go away on your boat and you dock somewhere and you pay the charges, can you claim that? Right, Bruce, it's the Ontario Staycation tax credit, and it's only That's good it. for 2022. It ends after um, last year. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to have to pass on that one. I do live in Ontario, but I have I have to say my focus is on federal tax issues. So I um, keep track of Ontario, I guess, the same way as I do some of the other provinces. So I haven't checked into that one specifically. Barry, do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's yeah, up to, it's a thousand dollars a person, right? Something. Uh, it's, it's, you can claim up to a thousand dollars, but it's only a percentage of that. Right. Uh, so I right. believe it's it's two hundred dollars as an individual. Uh, so that's 20% and $400 as a family. But to answer the question, uh, no, it applies specifically to overnight stays, hotels, cottages, campgrounds, and possibly Airbnb if they have an HST number. Okay. You would not be able to claim it for docking fees. Okay. okay. That, that's good to know. Thank you for Thank calling you in, Connie. Thank All you. Right. Uh, one more here. Stan in Brantford. Go ahead. Yes. Hi, uh, Stan. Hello. Yep, you're on the air. Go yep. ahead. Yes, thank you. No, the question I have for your experts is that my mother is quite elderly, and uh, for her to remain in her home over 20 years, I've had to had to pay a number of bills in addition to what her revenue is. Uh, would any of that be claimable for her being independent? Bruce? Well, uh, again, we're going back to the medical expenses again, but some of that can be claimed uh, through the medical expense. It really depends on what the expenses are for, but some of it might qualify for the medical expense. For her rent. For her uh, rent. Not her rent, but some of the bills. Some of the bills. Some of the bills for her house, yeah. So rent generally and the bills for the house wouldn't be. Um deductibles and medical expense. But I, I guess, again, it depends very, you know, specifically on bills for the house. Does it relate to something uh, due to her illness or her no. condition, I no. should say? He's that saying it might no. Qualify, He's saying no. But, no, no. Yeah. It, just does, it just does pay her heat, her hydro, some of her taxes, so she can remain in her own house. Yeah, no, I don't believe any of that would be deductible. Okay, Stan, thanks for calling in. Thank you all for uh, calling in for uh, some expert opinion from Bruce Ball and Barry Choi. Uh, Final comments uh, as we prepare to file our taxes for last year. Barry, to you. You know, I've already said this a few times, but just as someone younger, uh, using tax software, tax solutions such as TurboTax or any software that you're familiar with, it's always just the best and quickest way to maximize your tax refund. And Bruce Ball. Yeah, the adding on to what Barry said, the other good part about my account, the CRA service, you can use autofill and it will bring down a lot of your income and uh, uh, some of the other things. And it's a great way to make sure you don't miss reporting some income. All right. Thank you both for your time. It was really interesting. No problem. Thank you. Bruce Ball, Vice President of Taxation at CPA Canada and Barry Choi, personal finance expert. Jane for Libby, she is back tomorrow with our recovering politicians. Until then, uh, the number ones at one are next here on Zoomer Radio after Bob Comsick and the news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.